welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, we've got more signings. We are drinking the Invisible Hand IPA in honor of market forces. And with me this week, to relive the pain of the 2013 NFC Championship game, it's David Newman. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Uh, so, the Rewatchables, Kevin Clark, uh, Robert Mays, did a fantastic podcast. Great idea, honestly, where they went back and rewatched the 2013 NFC Championship game between... The San Francisco 49ers, you know, your favorite team. And the Seattle Seahawks, the the infamous Sherman Crabtree's Asari ass receiver game. I uh, mean, it sounds like a fun, you know, pretty interesting concept. I just I don't I can't really place the game that you're talking about. I just don't really know what exactly they discussed. This game this for me, for whatever reason, isn't in like the pantheon of painful games. Like there are games that I remember like just an abject pain over where I ended the yeah. season just like in tears. This was not one of them. Like, I was able to watch this game and be like, okay, yeah, the Super Bowl couldn't do it. Uh, you know, the, just the Giants game. I mean, Giants this is game. right there, I think, with the Super Bowl. Because I think with this one, uh, I mean, well, let's wait. Let's, let's save all of this. We're getting ahead of ourselves here, man. There's, no, let's, let's do it now. To, let's do it now. You want to start, start yeah, with that one? let's all start right. with this one. Then we'll get to the signings. Then we'll get to, to oh, some man. of the, the draft talk. Because this is going to be a, a draft episode. We're going to talk about the edge class and, and what really the decision points are and the questions around what the Niners should do at the top of the draft with that number two pick and really with the edge category of players as a whole. But let's get to, let's, let's rip the bandaid off 20. It's been what? Six years. Let's see what, yeah. let, let's see what that God, wound yeah. is like. Hit uh, me. I mean, it's, it's right there. I think with the super bowl for me, because you, they're going to win the super bowl. If you win this game, I mean, Oh yeah, they beat them. Uh, yeah. They talked about this. I mean, Robert and Kevin talked about this, uh, you know, on the ringer podcast and, and it was basically like, this was the super bowl, right? Yeah. I think it's pretty yeah. clear that these were the two best teams in the league and, uh, it, and it just like, they would have both gone on and, and beat the Broncos and it would have been pretty, pretty. Hand- so I think like this is, yeah, from a caliber of loss standpoint is like right there. And I think the, so I'm very much like an out of sight, out of mind oh, yeah. person, right? Like totally in, just kind of in general. Uh, and so it takes like rewatching some of those clips to kind of like jar things back and, and get it back front of mind. And so, at, you know, once I, I, I saw the podcast came out, I was like, all right, I got to go back and at least like watch the fourth quarter. And it was yeah. just, it, you forget how fucking wild that fourth quarter was just from kind of start to, to finish. Well, the thing I think that I had forgotten was that, I mean, we all remember Navarro Bowman's injury. It was gruesome. You hear the stories of Trent Baalke banging on the table in the press box, like telling the PR staff to tell the, the camera crews to not, to not air that injury anymore. But everyone just kind of forgot that he actually like ripped the ball out and that that was a fumble. And they just forgot about it, which was pretty nuts because then on the very next play, Marshawn Lynch, fum- Mar- Marshawn Lynch fumbles the exchange and the Niners get the ball back anyway, which is pretty ridiculous in and of itself that that yeah. two-play sequence happened as it did, even if you put the, the Bowman injury aside. Yeah, I think the, like, the, the thing that really sticks out uh, re-watching it again is like, you know, normally when you get like close playoff games like that, right, you kind of expect there to be maybe one or two kind of key moments where, where things where maybe a little bit of luck's involved, you know, and just things kind of swing one team's direction and that kind of ultimately ends up being the deciding factor in the game. And there were like six of them in this fourth quarter alone, right? Like not, not even going back to, to what could have happened in the first half or anything like that. Like just from the start of the fourth quarter, I mean, you get uh, the, the, the change of heart on the fourth down for Seattle uh, to, to decide not to kick the field goal. They come out, go for it on fourth down. You get the touchdown pass to Jermaine Curse there. Uh, you get the delay of game penalty that's on a third and one for the 49ers. So backs them up. They're now third and six ends up being a strip sack. You went from a situation where you're likely going to have, you know, a more conservative play. You're probably knowing that team, you're probably going to run the ball, right? Try to with seven offensive linemen on the field. Exactly. You're going to like pick up that first down and kind of keep things moving along. Instead, you're pushed back into that like obvious passing situation. uh, And and then you get the strict strip sack that happens. Um, You know, the, the Bowman thing, right? So there's that, but I think that in and of itself is like a less of a what if because you get the ball back on the next right. one. The, the what if with that situation is what if Ahmad Brooks or Dante Whitner scoops that fumble? Like they got clear path to the end zone, right? Yeah. Like, and, and there, there just were so many moments is like that, that fourth quarter is unfolding that you're just like, man, if they could have just got one of these, if just one of these things could have swung their, their way, way, like that's it. 
Yeah, it, it's pretty well. I thought it was a really good episode, what, what Kevin Clark and Robert Mays did. Uh, it, it inspired me to kind of go back and think of other games I'd want to watch and other games I'd want to do in a similar kind of vein yeah. uh, and ask some questions about. So maybe we'll, we'll do that in one of the, the dead periods uh, when we get closer to like the, I think like May, June area where the draft is done and it's, it's before mini camps, but there's, you know, there's like a, an area where we'll probably be on vacation or some shit. But. I think it would be, yeah, it, I think it would be fun um, not only to relive uh, a time when the team was good, uh, but also just like, I feel like, I know so much more about football now than I did five years ago, yeah. right? When we were kind of first starting to do this. And so while I would never want to go back and like listen to the takes that we had necessarily then, like I feel like I would just be like, oh my God, I'm such no. an idiot. Uh, I think it would be fun to like kind of review those games with kind of a current yeah. knowledge level, right? Yeah, no, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows what's going to come down the line? But let's get to some of the signings because the Niners have stayed active in the kind of second wave of free agency. And the first signing from free agency over the top here is going to be Jason Verrett. And this is a player that we identified as someone the Niners should target because of the upside that he would bring to a position of need and a position of value on the 49ers team. And frankly, it's a ridiculously smart move because it's a really low-risk high reward move for a player that produced at a high level in both man coverage schemes and when he was asked to play in cover three schemes. He is a freak of an athlete uh, at the top of his class and really the top of NFL athletes when you look at corners. Uh, I think uh, the there was a clip I saw on Twitter that showed him moving his hips and kind of staying on top of a route and it's just like it was just oh, butter. Man, it's free, like it's on butter. Antonio Brown, yeah. yeah. Uh, new Niners Nation yeah. uh, head honcho Kyle Posey Kyle. Uh, had, had tweeted that out initially, and it's like yeah, had a few clips from a uh, game that he had facing Antonio Brown and kind of some of their matchups. And uh, yeah, I think you look at the movement skills, and it's just insane. And you really see that athleticism. I mean, we we bring it up a lot, and we bring up that the Forty ers really seem to identify players who have you know tested very well and are very good athletes and he was a 98th percentile uh spark athlete you know in his draft class there so i I think uh it matches up with what they like in some respects i think what's interesting about him especially is he really does break the mold uh for what they normally identify with corners which which um, i think is a very it's a very very good thing it's a great development i think we already knew the team valued the the kind of athleticism in their corners which is great i think it's fine but it was always like oh he doesn't fit the he's he's not more than six foot tall he doesn't have the you know 33 34 inch arm yeah, we're talking. He's he's five nine. Had measured at like thirty inch, just under thirty one inch arms yeah. uh, at the combine. So but I'm I'm really happy. I'm really happy they went after him because it shows that they're not so rigid that they miss obvious talent at the thing that he does really well, which is when he plays. And of course, this is the big yeah, if when sure. he plays, he is one of the best corners in the league, and he is if he can remain healthy, probably the best corner on the team right now. Uh, but yeah. that's a big if because he hasn't played very much in three years. Yeah, I mean, didn't didn't play at all last year, of course. I think over the last three seasons combined, he's got just over 300 snaps. So, I mean, it, it is uh, definitely an unknown that's as to like whether one third of DeForest Buckner's season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, ex- exactly. Uh, that, that's a great way to put it. it it's just, uh, yeah, has not been able to stay on the field. I mean, in, in even then, even the, the three seasons that he had at the beginning of his career where he did at least get, uh, you know, good playing time in all of those, only one was a full season, right? I mean, the good thing again is that one season he had a full season, he was our highest graded corner in coverage. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, that, that kind of high end play that he's shown when he's on the field uh, is among the best in, in the league. So I think it really is uh, a great sign. I think in, in this class, because it is that high reward. It's, you know, again, in an impact position. Again, no risk. Yeah. Uh, what, one-year deal, hardly any money involved yeah, with it. Yeah, it's a proven deal. And, and it's not um, like the, the corner class in this. I mean, we talked about how you this isn't the free agent class that you want to go out and spend a bunch of money because every real every real corner that was available had some kind of knock on them. You look at sure. Bradley Roby. He had a really, really down year, right? You were kind of gambling on the fact that two years ago was the Bradley Roby that you're going to get and not last year, but there's no guarantee there. You look at someone like Pierre Desir, he's only a year younger than Sherman, uh, and he's getting paid uh, uh, more guaranteed money than Sherman, and Sherman's probably had higher highs, and so it's like, well, if I'm going to choose between an aging corner that's had, you know, kind of, or that may have middling production, I'm probably going to go with the high upside guy who can, you know, who's the, the coach on the field as well. So Desir and Sherman, I think, is kind of a push. 
everyone else, you've got a lot of slot corners. You've got a lot of, and then everyone, and then you start getting into the just not good corners, right. um, the Tremaine Brocks of the world because he's a free agent, right? And, and so I think that when you look at the available free agents, not only is this a good move because it is a high upside move and you've got almost no risk, but there really was a dearth of talent in the free agent class, and the Niners got the one guy who was the most talented of them all if he can stay healthy. Yeah, and I think you know even beyond looking beyond this season, right? So if you look at like potential outcomes for this, one. He's bad or he can't stay healthy, right? Like he isn't the same player. Like things just don't go well. Well, in that case, you paid him almost no money, whatever. You, you lose nothing, right? Uh, but on the upside, you're either one, potentially getting one of the best corners in football at a, at a bargain for this year, right? Um, which get, puts you in a position to A, either potentially extend him. You kind of get the first crack at, at signing him to uh, any sort of extension if he does come out and play really well this year. Or he plays well and you decide, okay, we're not going to pay him that premium contract. We're going to kind of go back and, and look, you know, next off season and try to grab some guys and you get a compensatory pick, right? He, he leaves and you're probably walking uh, away with an extra third round pick out of a guy that you paid, you know, a one year cheap prove it deal. So I think, uh, yeah, this is, uh, for me by far my favorite free agent move that they've made. The other move the Niners made is that they signed Jordan Matthews. Uh, and Jordan Matthews is someone we actually scouted during our scouting academy course a couple of years ago. He's one of the players that we had to evaluate, which I thought was super interesting. I dusted off my scouting report of Jordan Matthews, actually. I pulled oh, that up God. and I went down didn't. memory lane. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, even even in the last two years, uh, I've, I've learned a lot about football. <laughs> Wild, yeah. It's, I know. It's, uh, it comes at you quick. But Jordan Matthews is being billed as the big target in the red zone that the 49ers need. And the big stat that everyone's throwing around is that 16 of Matthews' 22 career touchdowns have come inside the 20. So they're saying this is the big red zone threat that the Niners want. But my question to you is, is, is that the player that the 49ers are actually getting in Jordan Matthews? I mean, uh, I, I don't really know that you should expect a whole lot here, right? I think there is some potential value there for sure. Um, he is a different type of receiver. I think he's more that big slot role. I mean, he, he did play outside a little bit more last season, but for basically the entirety of his career before that, he was primarily a slot receiver. And so there was a close to 50, 50 split in 2016, but it's still definitely lean slot. And then in 2017, he was, you know, basically slot all day or day. And then in 2018, he played 77% of his snaps aligned out wide in 2018. Yeah. And so I, I think the role though, that you would expect him to come in and play is, is more that big slot role. You think of what the 49ers do offensively in, in the passing game. And it's a lot of stuff in the middle of the field, right? Uh, really taking advantage of that area between the numbers, especially the intermediate area. I think when you go back and you kind of look at his, um, you know, grades over the course of his career, and it's a lot of unspectacular stuff, but when you kind of go a little bit deeper, really his best area is if you look at those throws that are kind of the 15 yard plus downfield throws, right? in the middle of the field when he's lined up in the slot. And so I think he adds sort of a vertical element there. You look at the slot players that they have right now, uh, and it's obviously guys like Trent Taylor, Richie James, who are more your your kind of quicker underneath guys, get some yards after the catch, maybe something like that, right? That kind of more traditional slot player um, where I think he just brings, you know, more of – he's, I don't want to call him like a, a tight end desk player, but it's, it's more like those type of routes, you know, running kind of up the seam and kind of those deeper crossing routes, stuff like that. in that, that intermediate plus range, uh, where I think he could potentially have the most value. I think the Niners are probably going to play him at multiple positions. And I think they probably see him as a little bit of the Pierre Garçon replacement with the ability to play in other areas of the field. I think he's most adept at playing that slot role because of his short area quickness. And, and you look at his ability to win on slants, I think is one thing that, that we noticed when we were looking at him a couple of years ago with the scouting academy. But I, I do think that much like the, the Verrett signing, this is a, a low-risk move that if you get, you know, kind of peak Jordan Matthews or even kind of approaching peak Jordan Matthews, he's a valuable depth piece that can probably play multiple positions uh, across the 49ers wide receivers core. If Jordan Matthews is starting at any of the primary wide receiver spots, I think the Niners are in, are in trouble because that means they're probably injured in some very significant way. But he's not super old. He's someone who has produced and has produced not at a super high level, but he had, I think, his first two or three years had over 800 yards or so. Um, and he's never, you know, been super amazing, but he's someone I think that is a depth piece that, again, is like, you know, you're you're getting a little bit of upside. He is he he brings something to the table the Niners don't yet have. 
and he can win on a couple of those outside routes, and he can he's a big enough person to fight through contact, which is not always the kind of receiver that the Niners uh, have had, and it seems like that's the complementary receiver that Shanahan seems to want, and when he builds his wide receiver's core, there's always a guy who can fight through contact at the top of the route. Yeah, I think, um, you know, ultimately I wouldn't expect a whole lot um, from him. I think he's largely going to be a part-time player, but I think obviously there is some talent there. And I think anytime you have the ability to go to, you know, a, a great offensive coach and, and in a system that we know is going to put players in position to succeed offensively, um, you know, you're hoping that maybe you can squeeze a little bit more out of him than what other teams have been able to get. But yeah, I think ultimately you're, you're probably looking at, again, a part-time player that's going to come in, you know, do do some different things than, than what they have in the middle of the field, and, and that's probably it, if anything. Yeah, so the, the my favorite thing, I think, about Jordan Matthews, though, is his take on Buffalo. Do you remember oh, this? Yes, 100%. Oh, his take on Buffalo was it's it's boring there, and there's nothing to do but each other. <laughs> like, and yeah, he, had him, he said him and his wife had a Buffalo baby. Yeah, it's the reason <laughs> to have a baby. His, his exact quote was, when I was in Buffalo, there was like nothing to do there except have fun with your wife. She got pregnant. So we say we got a Buffalo baby. Ain't nothing to do there except each other. That's- but go ahead, Buffalo. Keep getting mad about people that are calling out on your shit. <laughs> I'm sure everybody would love to be there. Oh, man. I love it. Buffalo babies. Absolutely love it. Okay. Let's get to the draft, and we'll talk about the edge position as a whole. The way we're going to structure the discussion, I think, this year is talk about the key questions about the position group and through those key questions, talk a little bit about the players, the player evaluation and what the 49ers should do when they're sitting there at, at two and they're staring at this edge group. And it's, it's definitely still a position of need. So before we get into the edge talk, though, let's take just a brief break and hear from our sponsors. All right, David, first question. Who plays Sam? We covered this. Yeah. Random Sam from the crowd every game. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I thought it'd just be funny because I like to see the little vein in your neck pop. No, nah, man. It's, I'm keeping my job. I'm yeah. not going to get fired. It's That's the goal on this podcast it's going great. forward. Don't get fired. All right. So the first question, and I think this is the question on every 49ers fan's mind, is, is it Bosa over everything? Is that the obvious clear move here? Is this the no-brainer if he falls to two? that the regime should just say, yep, cool, let me trip over my shoelaces, running this card up to the podium, because Bosa is just that good. I don't know that I'm there. Um, I think, so I think the, the, the place to start is probably that he is, to me, the, by far the best prospect. Like, regardless, once you move, let's, like, just exclude quarterbacks for now, because, again, quarterbacks kind of change the calculus on a lot of things and, and it is, isn't really worth getting into right now. For but multiple reasons, including that the Niners aren't looking for aren't one. Aren't looking for one is the most important thing, absolutely. So looking at kind of the rest of, of the draft class, the non-quarterbacks, um, I do think without question for me, he is the top player. Um, once you kind of factor in everything, factor in positional value, all that, like he is the best guy. Um, whether that means that you, you know, don't really entertain any other possibilities of that position, I, I don't think I'm ready to go there. But uh, 100%, he is uh, one of the best edge prospects that we've really seen come out in the draft over the last, you know, handful of years since really like Miles Garrett, honestly. Yeah. Uh, he's the generational talent that actually is. Uh, perhaps a generational talent. Uh, but I think when, when I was watching some Bosa tape and, and we spent some time watching him, the thing that kept the word that kept popping into my head was refined. He is a refined pass rusher. He can win inside. He can win outside. He's got amazing hands. You, you, you just see him and it was difficult for tackles to consistently get their hands on him and wash him out of a play. His hand fighting was very, very good. And these are the kinds of things that translate to the NFL level in a way that is more predictable than some other traits. And that's valuable. It's really, really valuable. And so I, I too think that like when I watch him as compared to some of the other edge rushers in the class, it was, it was a pretty clear difference between him and everyone else. Definitely. I think you look at, I think two things really stick out uh, for for me with Bosa that kind of separates him a little bit because there are I think it's also you know worth mentioning we're going to get into a lot of the the most important names I think but um, it is a very strong edge class overall right I think this is uh, much different than a situation than we were at a year ago where it was basically 
no one. It was like Harold Landry, you know, there was some guys like Chubb and then that was it. Like after that, it was just a bunch of nothing. And so with, with this class, you do have a lot more options, but I think what separates him at the top is, is two things for me. One, he wins far more often than a lot of these other guys do. So normally with an edge rusher, uh, you're, you're usually looking at like the best players in the league have a win rate. So how often they're defeating the blocker in front of them, right? How often they're winning, kind of high teens that like 17, 18% range is usually what you're seeing. It may be every once in a while, a guy will have a season that's higher than that, but that's kind of usually the range for your top guys. Um, Bosa won on over a quarter, 25.5% of his college pass rushing snaps. So much higher than the other guys who are all kind of in that again, upper teen range. And his wins were also a lot cleaner than the other guys. A lot of it comes back to what what you mentioned, being kind of a more refined player uh, from a technique standpoint is a lot better than a lot of those guys. And so you see him rather than than kind of like winning, but he, but he still like doesn't fully get by the block, doesn't have a, a clear shot to actually get to the quarterback, things like that. He is cleanly defeating blocks that puts him in a position to go and close and get the quarterback and get those hits and sacks that you really like to see. So I think those are things that he does just with a higher level of frequency because of how much more advanced he is as a rusher right now. One of the things that jumped out when we were watching Bosa was his ability to have a, a almost an innate feel for what the tackle was trying to do and then do the other thing. So when a tackle's trying to set outside, he's like, all right, screw this, I'm going right inside. And vice versa, if the tackle's trying to stop inside, he is able to go outside. He averaged an inside pressure every 8.8 snaps. He averaged an outside pressure every 17.5 snaps. That, that, those numbers really show someone who can go both inside and outside, and they're not going to get stonewalled when their first option gets stopped. Because with Bosa, it wasn't just that his first move was always successful. It was that, okay, I try this. I'm going to go outside. Oh, he's setting out there. Boom, inside move, blows right by the tackle in the quarterback's face. And he did this repeatedly over and over and over. He won inside far more often than I thought than, than he should. And even when he won outside, he was still able to bend around the edge and still able to do some really, really awesome things. And so I think that, yeah, absolutely, he is someone who projects well, I think, to the NFL. And I think he is one of the best prospects for that reason. Yeah. And so that's usually like kind of what you're talking about there is, is what you'll hear a lot of people talk about is like a pass rush plan, right? Like uh, it's one thing to kind of predetermine. You see like speed guys kind of do this a little bit too much where uh, if that's kind of their one trick and they don't have anything else, but that kind of outside dip and rip move. And, and that's their kind of go to, um, they kind of almost predetermine most of the time, like the, I'm going for this, like this is what I'm going to do on this snap. And I think the best rushers uh, are able to kind of read the set of the tackle, right? So you want to have the threat of that speed. I think most good good edge rushers have at least the threat of that, right? It, even if it's not their primary way that they win. Um, and, and then you're able to kind of see how the tackle wants to play you. If he oversets and kind of gets a little bit too wide, for that outside rush, you're able to recognize that quickly and then counter it inside. Like that's the type of stuff that you really want to see. And and then at the same hand, if, if he's sick of getting beat inside and he kind of leans in a little bit there and, and doesn't want to give that up, you can, again, recognize that, not have it predetermined, be able to go to your outside rush then. And so I think these are things that he does just more consistently than, than other players in this class. So I think the the final point in the Boso of everything argument is if I'm a Niner fan, the Niners need impact players. They have, even with D Ford, even with D Ford, you still need another edge guy. And, and I think when you look at what edge rusher is able to project or how edge rusher projects to the NFL, it is one of the more stable things when you look at per snap grades. Pro Football Focus had a great article, uh, I think last year, where they talked about projecting pass rushers to the NFL. And they talked about how pass rushing grades at the college level correlate at a rate of about 0.69 with grades at the NFL level, meaning that roughly half of the variance in how a pass rusher performs at the pro level, should he get about 250 or more pass rushing snaps, can be explained by the variance in how he graded as a college pass rusher. In other words, what we're saying so far is that Bosa is a phenomenal edge prospect. He is refined. He does things very well. And because of the position he plays, statistically speaking, that is more stable than other things from college to pros, meaning that there is no sure thing in the NFL, right? But he is the surest thing we've got. Sure. So why wouldn't he be the pick? Absolutely. No brainer. Run it up there. Do it. Because it's still not sure. 
right? So even though, and I think a lot of it does come down to, you know, a big part of it is is in everything that we talk about, right? And kind of looking at these things from a process perspective is uh, is trying to maximize your odds, right? It's recognizing that there are mistakes made all the time, that that overconfidence can be a problem, you know, when going after certain players and just giving yourself the most opportunity to be right, you know, and, and kind of putting the odds in your favor, even though those odds aren't going to be perfect. And so I think when you combine that with the fact that this team still does need a lot of pieces, right? Um, and while just adding D Ford by no means uh, eliminates any needed edge, it does make it better than it was and, and kind of put the more pressing need of, of coverage, I think into more prominent view and, and really put that at the forefront of what they need to get addressed at some point. And so, and again, it all depends. I think if you're there at two and you take Bosa, like that's, nobody's going to be mad at that, right? Like nobody's going to say that you made a stupid decision, but if you have the opportunity to move down and, and somebody really gets infatuated with a quarterback, you know, say, uh, either Kyler's there or say uh, Kyler goes number one and somebody uh, like the Giants get uh, really gung-ho for for Haskins and they want to move up and get it, like, you got to listen to those, right? He's not so good that you're just hanging up the phone when somebody calls for that pick. So there's there's some real value in trading down. I think you talked a bit about how the team is not, you know, one, it, they're not a Joey Bosa away quite right. frankly, right? And so when you look at the value of trading down, let's look at some of the hauls that teams have gotten over the last couple of years for trade downs. Of course, you start with one that still feels very real and very visceral for the 49ers, and that's the 2017 trade with the Bears, where they traded from three to two. They netted a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick in the 2017 draft and a future third. And I think the players that that capital allowed them to go and get either directly or indirectly by trading and horse trading and whatnot. Um, basically, all of the capital from that trade turned into some form of Reuben Foster, Adrian Colbert, Fred Warner, Dante Pettis, and DJ Reed. Now, not all of those players are going to hit. Some of them have already failed miserably, <laughs> Reuben Foster. Uh, but when you look at some of the players like Fred Warner, starting Mike, DJ Reed, already a, a pretty good depth player um, and someone who could develop into, you know, a quality kind of, you know, sub package player. And then you look at someone like Dante Pettis, who I think he could really uncork in year two. And he is, I mean, he's, yeah, give him a real quarterback. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and I mean, he's already shown some amazing talent in the way that he separates. And, and, and I think he yep. is probably going to be a really dope red zone threat. And when I think of slot fades, if Jordan Matthews is running my slot fades. I, there's a problem, right? I want Dante What's Pettis. This, can, running we just, can we just abandon the slot, just the fade in general? Well, like, sure, uh, but in, but in general, I think that's that can be a valuable yeah. route. And I don't. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Mullins, one of the backup quarterbacks. That's not going to matter next year. Threw a really, really pretty uh, slot fade to Dante Pettis late in the year. I think it was Nick Mullins. But point is that if the Niners trade down, they're able to get more ammunition and more capital to do a lot more things with, and they're not going to hit on every player. No GM does. So you want to increase your odds for hitting on players, and you do that by getting more picks and trading down. I think the key question, though, is comparing that to the quality of the player that is Bosa. Yeah, and I think um, the the important thing, I mean, you you know list kind of the players that they were able to basically maneuver to get largely based on capital that they got from that trade, just moving down one spot, right? So I think it's important to note that they would be getting more in any trade that they would make here. Because you look at the realistic trade back targets, right? Um, I mean, the first one you have there is Oakland. But I think the ones that you're kind of eyeing are probably the Giants at six, maybe the Jaguars. I mean, I, you got to think, I know they gave Foles a big deal, but I, I'm not ready to completely call them out on, on wanting to get a quarterback. Agree to stage, agree. Right. So I think those are kind of the teams though, in that kind of four to seven range that you're realistically looking at and uh, in, in moving back with. And so I think the haul that you would expect to get is going to be greater than what they got from the Bears. And so I think that's a, a big point to bring up is, is you're going to be better off than even what was a really good situation with that trade. Well, okay, so let's look at the 2016 haul that the Eagles kind of gave up to trade up from eight to two to take Wentz. They gave up a third and a fourth round selection in 2016, 2017's first round pick, and a second round pick in 2018. That's a hell of a haul. And, and there was a couple of other things too. The Eagles got a compensatory fourth rounder that was a conditional fifth. And, and, and that's more along the lines of what it is that the Niners could get because that's, I mean, that's from eight yeah. to two. That's first, a, uh, first, second, third, and fourth, basically. Like that's, you, you get an extra pick in, in every single one of those rounds. 
um, which is, again, I mean, those are players that can come in and we've seen, you know, what teams can do with picks. Really, it's those day one, day two picks, right, that, yeah. that are the most valuable and getting multiple opportunities at those players, those top 100 players. Yep. Is is big now? When you look at the 2018 trade, that most coral that that's most like what the Niners could get. You're looking at the New York Jets, who moved from six to three. They gave up two second round picks in 2018, a second round pick in 2019, uh, and that's kind of where the Niners. If you're thinking about the Raiders going from four to two, that's likely what will happen there. So uh, I think that's that that's a, that's a hall of players. So, you know, but, you should say too, like, I guess, uh, it, it may not be the same rounds and same volume of picks, but you're, you're talking about the value of those picks, right? So, um, with the Raiders, for instance, it may not be three second rounders that you get. It may be like some higher picks since they got first round, but it, it, you're talking about that kind of worth of, of picks that you're getting in return. Yeah, so I, I think then if you're looking at the number of picks that you would get from these likely trade-down scenarios and the teams that are looking to trade up for a quarterback and you're looking at comparing that value with Bosa, what is, where, where are you right now in terms of Bosa or that trade-down? Because I think those are the two, you know, we don't know if, if a trade-down is even possible, but let's entertain the fact that it is. Where do you fall on the Bosa or trade-down kind of argument? Um, I think if you can do it with one of those three teams, especially like move to kind of, I mean, it four obviously is only a couple spots back, but even going just to that latter part of the top 10, even in, in staying there, I think is a really good spot because I think what you're likely to get, even at a, at a minimum, even if you don't really squeeze everything out of them that you can possibly get right because they're going up for a quarterback, um, you're, you're still in a spot where you're still getting a very good player um, with that pick in the top 10. And then you're adding the opportunity to add more impact players. I think I probably lean trade down as well, mostly because this is such a good edge class. I think if you're looking at a similar edge class to last year where it was like one or maybe two guys at the top and that's it. And it's just a dearth of talent throughout the rest of the rounds. I think that might change my calculus a little but when you look at the rest of the players here that we'll talk about, there there is a clear difference between Bosa, between Bosa and every and everyone else. But that doesn't mean that they're not good prospects throughout the rest of even the first round or even in that top ten. And the the thing I think that I've learned most this year, the thing that I've read about most is just the the problem of overconfidence. It's the idea that you're so sure that your evaluation on this one player is so pristine and so perfect that you can't be wrong and it's a can't miss. And so it's that overconfidence that ends up becoming problematic for you. Um, And so I think for me, if I'm going to, you know, kind of take the humility pill and be like, yes, I do think Bose is amazing, but let me go ahead and just be like, okay, what if I'm wrong? Then that opens up a whole bevy of possibilities if those trade back possibilities are there. Right. And I think, you know, we're going to get into cornerbacks next week is going to be the position that we kind of tackle there. But I think with with kind of where we're at, that's really the most pressing need, right, is they need help uh, from a coverage perspective. And so I think it, too, there's not really anybody there. There's not a Jalen Ramsey in this class that you would even consider that high, right? But I think there are a lot of quality corners, and I think those guys do come into play a little bit more in that back half of the the top 10. So I think if you're sitting there at six or seven – you you are seriously considering some of the cornerbacks there and you're in a position now to get uh with the with that pick and the pick that you've acquired you know maybe it, maybe it's a second tier rusher that you you're getting there but probably multiple coverage defenders that you can get in those first few rounds and really have an opportunity to not only improve your pass rush but improve the back end as well and make a significant leap as a defense i think that's their best chance at making a really big leap defensively is is getting a trade back and being able to hit on a few of those players in coverage there uh, that, that are going to be the big difference for them. Now, there's a pretty clear difference between Bosa and everyone else, but are there any other players that are up there with Bosa in terms of a talent evaluation from a talent evaluation standpoint? Because it, it, let's say that the trade down option just isn't there. There aren't very many players or there aren't very many teams that are willing to trade up. Maybe everyone's not so cool on Haskins. Murray goes number one, or maybe Bosa goes number one, and no one's going to trade up for Curry, for Murray or whatever the hell, right? There's just not a trade-back partner. Right. So now you're staring at the barrel of Bosa's gone number one, and now I've got kind of everyone else. Uh, is there anyone else in the draft that you think to yourself, okay, this is also kind of a, a thing that I would do in this area? 
So this is fun, but I, you know, part of me is hesitant to even bring this up a week after what we just, you know, the podcast that we had last week. Um, he's not an edge player, um, but I think this is the spot that makes the most sense to kind of discuss what the scenario looks like, and it's Quinn and Williams. And I know, I know, I know, in case I you mi- know. In case you missed that, that's Quinn and Williams. If Alabama, you- not edge defender. Number 92, wears a sleeve, Quinn and Williams. Future 49er Quinn and Williams. <laughs> I think I think it's important to to basically say he shouldn't be the top choice, right? I think we made that clear. Like if you're going to be there at 2 and Bose is available and and uh you know you either have decided you're not going to consider a trade back or you have no options to trade back, Bose is the clear choice. No one's going to to argue that. Um, but I do think there is a scenario where Bosa goes number 1, right? All this Kyler Murray to Arizona stuff is uh just kind of a bunch of smoke and, and nothing's actually there. And they take Bosa number one because they need another edge player to pair with Chandler Jones. And you're sitting there at two and your top guy's gone. And like you said, maybe you have no trade. Maybe just everybody is out on this quarterback class, at least with what it would take to get to a top two pick. And so you got to make a choice. And and I think at that point, Quinn and Williams very much deserves to be in the discussion. Uh, even though I know it, pains 49ers fans to consider thinking about another interior defensive lineman so I think the the case for Quinn Williams is that one he's really really good like he he wins I would say at in a similar obviously they're different players both in Williams but when you think of clean wins and just an inability for a player to get clean hands on them and and stop them from doing what they want to do they both win at their at the respective things they want to do their hand fighting is both very, very good. And I think with Quinnen, the thing that impressed me the most in watching his uh, his tape is his burst and his ability to close on a quarterback once he's beat the guard or the center, or in some cases, both at the same time. <laughs> and and just went for the moment from I'm I'm beside you to I'm past you is ridiculous. Like I I have this kind of giggle with glee meter that I have when I'm watching these players. I'm like, how, how often do they make me giggle? Like, what the hell was that? And Bosa made me giggle lots because it was like, that's just stupid. How could you do that? And Quinn and Williams made me, made me giggle a lot as well. I mean, it, it, it was like, hee that's funny. Like, that's, that's just... <laughs> uh, that's great. I, I think... Um, right. So I think with, with Quinn and the, the things to really call out that are... So as like I, I'm saying this and I'm already trying to imagine like the questions or the the, the rebuttals to why this doesn't make sense, right? Well, I can um, the rebuttal first is like who plays Sam? Uh, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, no, the first uh, one's what do you do with the Forrest Buckner? Nothing. You don't change anything. Is is the thing with the Forrest Buckner? So uh, I think as far as where you play him, right? The way that you the the first thing rather than where does he fit in base, right? Is what does he do for me on the you know. 80, 75% of other plays, which is what I'm going to be lining up defensively most of the time is four defensive linemen, five to six defensive backs. And and when I'm in that formation defensively, I am looking for two edge rushers and two interior rushers. And that's all that matters. And I think the fact that you can put Quinn and Williams and DeForest Buckner as your interior rushers uh, is a very exciting thing, right? I think uh, because you have to call out that like he's not just another interior guy, right? He is, I think, for me, without question, the best interior prospect that has come out in the last like five years. He is the best player from an interior perspective that we've graded at the college level, which goes back to 2014 right now. He had his, his last season uh, was the highest graded season that we've had from an interior defender. And again, this is the stuff that we know that we, at this point, it's still very early in, in that kind of projection from college to pro, but this is the stuff that we feel most confident about at this stage. And he has done better at that than anybody else. And so I think it, it you do have to, it's not like another Eric Armstead is not another DeForest Buckner even like, and we love Buckner, but Williams is a significantly better prospect than Buckner was coming out. And so I think you have to call that out first. He is top of his class in both pass rushing productivity and as a run stopper. And I think that there's a distinction here between base personnel and your, and kind of like a base defense. The base defense is nickel. Yes. Like, like rob yourself of the idea that there is like that. There's a three, four or a four, three, the the nickel the the four defensive linemen two linebackers and then whatever the hell you're doing on the back end right or one linebacker and whatever right. the hell you're doing on the back end that is what is the new base defense in the NFL and then beyond that I think 
okay, so what what the hell do you do with, with DeForest Buckner? And it's like, well, it doesn't matter because you're only talking about three out of maybe 10 snaps. And even though just to like, oh, okay, so if you're you're still really concerned about what they're doing in their 4-3 um, and, and how are these guys going to fit in that, you know, 25% of plays, um, you're going to leave Buckner where he is at, at three technique. Um, you're going to play Quinn in at nose. And it's going to pla- be fine. A place where he's also really, really good. He's played nose played, tag- played a bunch of nose. He played nose at Alabama, and it, um, it didn't matter who was in front of him. And he then still you're going to leave. You're going to leave D Ford as your weak side rusher. You're going to have Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas as your strong side edge guy in, in those situations. So if that's something that you just need to have an, an answer for, for where do you place these guys, like that's where you place them. Um, but again, most of the time what you're looking for is – you're going to be very excited about having Quinn and Williams and DeForest Buckner on the inside going after the quarterback. So overall, then the you know I think we probably lean trade down if that's available. Uh, if Bosa is gone, especially, uh, but if Bosa is gone and you can't trade down, then Quinn and Williams is 100%. I think an option and an option that the Niners uh, should entertain. I was probably I was very vocal about like oh Jesus Christ we can't do another interior three tech guy. Um, it's it, it's sunk cost fallacy, man. It is it, you cannot let Eric Armstead and Solomon Thomas and cloud. I mean, I think everybody's happy with the Forrest Buckner, right? It's well, Armstead and Solomon Thomas. It's less that about you're the, like, It's less about the happiness of, with the the player specifically, and more about the amount of resources poured into a specific area that that may not be yeah. as valuable as other places. And it's those are already gone. You're not going. No matter what happens, you costs. can't get those those yeah. picks back, right? You can't go back and change those, whether you feel good about them or not. That shouldn't cloud you making the best possible decision here. And again, I don't know that I, I'm not like. 100% on the train that he should be the pick there if Bose is gone. I think we're going to talk next about a couple of players that should be in that conversation as well, but he 100% should be in that conversation. And if they go there, you shouldn't be upset about that because he's a fantastic player. So here's the other player, because the the kind of if-then scenario that most people have had is, okay, if Bose is gone, then it's Allen, Josh Allen, edge rusher out of Kentucky, right? So the question that I have then is, okay, so are there any prospects in the next tier that we should value a bit higher because of positional value? When you think of Josh Allen at edge uh, or really anyone else, right? Is, is it a simple binary of if not Bosa, then you go to the next edge and it's Josh Allen? I think you're probably looking at, at those defensive line options, right? If you're, if you're there at two, no Bosa, um, those are the players that make the most sense. I don't think you're looking at anybody else at another non-quarterback position um, that really is worth taking up at, at that point. So I think it, it becomes, I think for me, the players that are in that conversation become Quinn Williams, Josh Allen, and then the guy that I think is actually very similar to Josh Allen, and he a lot of times gets put in kind of a lower tier than him, and I think they're they're really a lot more similar, um, but is Brian Burns from, from Florida State. So I think those are the players for me that I'm looking at post-Bosa. So let's talk a bit about Josh Allen, because that seems to be the if not Bosa, then Josh Allen kind of kind of decision matrix, right? So Josh Allen is someone who had a very, very productive season at Kentucky this year. He had a ridiculously high pass rush grade this year. He did. He's kind of climbed a little bit over the last couple of years in his college career, but he's a player who also tested very well at the combine. He was, he tested better than Joey Bosa. Actually, when we look at kind of overall, overall athleticism with the P spark metric that we love so much, thanks to Zach Whitman at three Sigma athlete. Uh, But he's a player that really wins with his speed on the outside. And I think the key with him is that he does win and win often. He does have a move that he likes to go to repeatedly and he can win with that move. Uh, He's just not as refined of a pass rusher as Joey Bosa. That doesn't mean he doesn't win. And so I think when you look at someone like Josh Allen, I think he's probably a very, very good prospect. But if I'm looking at kind of the cost benefit of like, well, how much better is Allen than Burns? I don't know that he's appreciably better than Burns. And and if I'm going to think, and I think Quinnen's probably a better prospect than both of them um, if, if Bosa's not there. Right. I think the, the question with Allen, so like, and that's really the, the big thing that you get into with these two players, right? I think with with Allen and Burns especially is you, you have more questions with them compared to Bosa. So that's why they're kind of in the next tier. I think with, with Allen, the thing that you're looking at that's interesting about him is that he's 
never really been able to solely devote his time to being a pass rusher. So uh, with how he was used at Kentucky, he actually spent a decent chunk of his snaps playing coverage. And I know there's actually people out there that like him as potentially, uh, you know, an off ball linebacker on some plays to go out in coverage. And then maybe on third down, he kicks down and he's easy edge rusher then or or something like that. Right. So uh, he does have that sort of versatility and that was how he was. So Josh Allen plays same. Josh Allen probably plays Sam. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think there's, there's because of that, because he hasn't spent all of his time, you know, going after the passer like Bosa has, he is less refined there, right? So I think there's, the thing that's encouraging with him is that he doesn't, he, he's not making best use of all of his skills, right? So I think, again, you mentioned better athlete than Bosa is probably, so better physical tools to really work with and still won at a really high rate, despite the fact that he wasn't as technically sound as a player like Bose is. So that, I think, is a much better argument if you're going to to kind of go with the he's going to get better with NFL coaching type of thing. I would rather go with the guy that at least won with what he has right now at a, at a really high level in college and can just kind of refine some technique as opposed to a guy, like some of the players we're going to talk about later, um, that have a lot of tools, but didn't really even win with what they had there. Right. So I think that's the thing that's in his favor is he's not as refined. He hasn't had as much time doing it, um, but he still got it done. You know, he still got it done at a really high level with the opportunities he was given. And, and so I think you're really looking at him as potentially a player who has a very high ceiling at the next level with better coaching. Now, Brian Burns though, is a player that surprised me when I watched him on tape. He's someone who I thought won. Uh, and one, despite the fact that he looks like Snoop Dogg out there on the field, the dude's just, <laughs> I mean, he is lanky. Uh, he's very, very a lanky. A little bit, yeah. He's got that long, wiry frame. Man. He does have a long, wiry frame. Uh, he reminded me uh, of, like, Alden Smith, if Alden Smith, like, didn't eat a cheeseburger or went on a hunger strike a little bit. Um, you know, just, he's he's in that mold. <laughs> but, he, but he was still very, very effective. Very, very effective at getting at the quarterback. I thought he had more of a plan to get to the quarterback than someone like Josh Allen. And I think that's what's encouraging because I think when I kind of lean, I don't know where I fall on the whole like coaching versus like how much time a team has to coach a player up in the NFL. You know, we've talked a lot in the past about how there's just there you're time limited and it's really incumbent on the player to do a lot of development unless you have a phenomenal position coach. And, and I don't know that, that Chris Kasurik is that guy for the Niners who knows. Right. But But if if he's not for whatever reason, then it, it's I would rather have someone like a Brian Burns or a Joey Bosa than I necessarily would a Josh Allen, because they're players who show who at least on tape show me that they have a plan, they have a bit more technique, they're a bit more refined, they can win in different ways, uh, and they're all athletically gifted. They all clear a bar for me from athleticism uh, that I think I'd probably I'd be okay. And if we're talking about trading down, right? Now here is where someone like Brian Burns becomes a bit more of a of, of an interesting prospect. Let's say that Bosa's not there at two, and you are able to trade down to six, to seven, to eight, somewhere in that area, even a four. Yeah. Uh, and then Josh Allen is gone. Cool. I think Brian Burns in that kind of ten area would be a sweet spot for getting a talented edge rusher who has a plan, has shown some refinement in his pass rushing techniques. And then you're still able to address other areas that are deficient on your team, like coverage. Right. So I think, yeah. So with Burns, um, 100% with you. The the difference, I think, between him and Josh Allen is that he didn't win. Burns didn't win quite as much, right? So so he didn't have necessarily the overall volume of, uh, of wins that, that Allen did in his one kind of big season. But like you mentioned, the plan was there. I think there were more technical elements with his game that are already there. Um, the thing you would like to see, the big question with him is is you do want to see him take a little bit better advantage of his athleticism. So he's actually, uh, you know, he's not typically one of the guys that gets mentioned as like the freak athlete of this class, um, but he was up there. I mean, his, his spark scores were like 94th percentile or something like that. Ridiculous. So he was one of the most athletic edge players at the combine. Um, and, and so you, you had, you like that for, again, for ceiling purposes there with him, you would like to see a little bit more power. And, and I think that's going to come from his ability to add a little bit of bulk. So he, that's where he wasn't like, uh, Alden Smith. Alden Smith was very much a speed to power guy. Yeah. Um, he, Brian Burns is Alden not. Smith was a 
thick like frame on there. Thick like he had the long, C's. but yeah, he he had a lot of power. Like speed wasn't his his game, especially. Um, he burns though. Like he did add a good amount of weight between his. So he came out as a junior, I believe. Uh, so between his sophomore and junior seasons, added some bulk. Then he's a little bit younger than some of the other players in this class too. So I think it's reasonable to think that he has another. 10 pounds or so that he can add. And that's the one thing that I think is really missing from him is if he could add a little bit of bulk, which is going to give him more power, which is going to really be necessary. Didn't need it in college as much, but really is going to be necessary against NFL tackles. Um, I think he becomes very interesting. And yeah, again, it's when you get him too, right? I don't think there's a huge gap between Burns and say somebody like Josh Allen and the difference in where you're likely going to take them though is probably significant. I think Allen is going to be likely a top five guy. I think it'd be very surprising if he fell outside of that range. Whereas with the trade back, right? So it becomes a matter of, would you rather have Josh Allen at at two in in this scenario that we're playing out that Bose is gone, right? Um, Or if I can trade back, if I have that on the table and I get to six, I can get Brian Burns, who we think is a similar player, plus additional players, yeah. right? So I think that's when it becomes really interesting. Um, I don't know that teams are going to love him enough to go to, but I think he he definitely deserves to be in that that conversation with what he showed at Florida State. So the matrix of decision-making so far, the officially sanctioned better rivals matrix of decision-making is option number one, right? It depends on whether or not Bosa is there. Let's say Bosa is there, and if he's there, we still lean a little towards trading down, but... Bosa would still be a whole hell of a lot of fun to watch, uh, and he is easily uh, the best edge prospect in this draft, and he's a phenomenal prospect overall. Can't be mad at either option if the 49ers take it, uh, but we lean trade down. If there is a world where Joey Bosa is not there, uh, sorry, not Joey Uh, Bosa. I do this all the time. Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa. If there is a world where where Nick (laughs) Bosa uh, is not there, then I could, and there's no trade back partner, I could easily see Quinn and Williams going there, and it would make the 49ers, a better oh. and more formidable front. And, and the, the thing I think that's interesting for me about Quinnen Williams is that, yes, we've railed against this regime for seemingly not valuing coverage when they have the ability to upgrade coverage. If I were to put then my John Lynch ears on and I were to go into his brain, I would think, okay, maybe this is just a team that thinks that, that the defensive front is more valuable than coverage. And and I don't know that that's necessarily true, but this could be something that they believe, and that's not too far off of what I think may re- reality may be. Cool. If that's the case, then Quinton Williams makes a ton of sense because he will drastically improve your front if Bosa is not there. Right. He is not. Yeah. I, I think that's. The, I guess the other thing that that we didn't quite cover. I think it was. Uh. You know. Kind of assumed with a lot of it, but. He's not a run step, so I, I think he's got a much bigger frame than somebody like uh, DeForest Buckner does, right? He, he was just over 300 pounds. Um, he is not a, like some run-stuffing nose yeah. tackle, right? He uh, is a great pass rusher. Like yep. The quickness that he displays he at, at that size he is, very, very fast. Uh, is, yeah, is kind of nuts. Um, so and, it, and so I think, yeah, that's the thing is he upgrades the important part of the defensive line that you're concerned about. So the, the Quinn Williams at two could totally see it, but if you trade down, which is the preferred option, then you're looking at players in the next tier. And if you're going to trade down, then we would target someone like a Brian Burns in that kind of top 10 area, because he, I think can be a very, very good edge rusher, but there are other players that have kind of climbed the charts recently, especially because of their athletic testing. And, and that's going to be players like Montez sweat and Rashawn Gary that are combined heroes. I mean, these are champions. You're looking at Montez Sweat. I mean, there is like a picture of him running the 40 in front of everyone. Uh, and uh, Sweat, 97th percentile. Uh, Gary, 95, 95th percentile. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these are top of the class, like best, some of the best athletes that are going to play at the next level. So why wouldn't you then trade down and get someone like a Montez Sweat or a Rashawn Gary? You know, why is someone like Brian Burns going to be kind of in the tier above them when these players have shown that they have the athleticism that you often need in order, in order to succeed at the NFL level? Because Brian Burns has actually shown that he can play football at a high level, I think, is uh, is really the, the, the big thing there. So what it comes down to with, I think, especially even with these guys, so they kind of get lumped together, right, which is why we're talking about them together, um, because they are the kind of physical freaks of, of this class that have 
shown enough at least that they're being talked about as like top five, top 10 potential guys. Um, there's a wide gap between even them, I think, when it comes to actual performance and what they've shown on the field. Um, Montez Sweat, I think, is much more likely to become a good football player than Rashawn Gary is. Um, Rashawn Gary, I guess, very quickly, it just hasn't been good. Like, I, I, I don't know how you can watch his tape at Michigan and even if you want to talk about, it, I know there's been a lot of things thrown out with him as far as like scheme and what he was asked to do, all that. When you just even focus on just the the snaps that he had to be a pure edge pass rusher, um, they're not all that impressive. Like he has basically one thing, and that is his kind of freakish athleticism, and he doesn't know how to use it or harness it, and and hasn't been able to turn that into any sort of production at even the college level. And so I think there are need to be significant concerns about how well he can suddenly become at the NFL level. Sweat, I think, is somewhere in between a player like Gary and the guys that we talked about at the top, right, where he is still more, like, driven by his athleticism, and that's kind of his defining characteristic. He's less refined as a rusher uh, than the other guys that we've talked about. Like, there, there just isn't as much there. Like, he's been largely a dip and rip guy. Like he's, uh, we talked about Brian Burns, right? Maybe needing to bulk up a little bit to add a little bit of power. Montez sweat is a bulked up Brian Burns from a physical profile standpoint. Like he's got that extra 10 pounds or so, but he didn't use it. He's still much like Burns, like didn't show much power in his game when he was at Mississippi state. Um, and, and so you're, you're talking about a guy that has those already, but couldn't show it against even college competition and then you look at when he had his best games. You know, I sent this to you the other day uh, and kind of laughed at, like, he wasn't winning, you know, and doing this against the SEC competition. Like, he was, his best games last year came against Stephen F. Austin and Louisiana Tech. And my first question was, why is he playing a high school? And so, Stephen you, F. Austin. you have a guy. High school, high school yeah. in Austin, by the way. <laughs> For uh, those that are uninitiated. You have a guy that, uh, again, has a lot of tools to work with. And I think, again, there is more there. I don't hate him as a player. I just don't like him as a top 10 option, right? I think he's a player we've talked about in the past, how you kind of want the guys in the top five, top 10 to really check all of the boxes for you. And then as you move into day two and day three, you kind of have to be willing to compromise in some areas because you're not going to get the athlete and the production and the traits and everything all in one at that stage, right? Otherwise they would have been first round players. And so he's a guy that with what he's shown, I think would make a lot of sense as the top of the second round player, right? If you're looking at him at 36 there, hell yeah, absolutely. You make that pick at, at that position, but he's just not going to be there because of those athletic traits. Like a team's going to reach on him and he just has still so much work to do on the field as a football player, I don't think you feel as confident with him translating. Let's say for whatever reason that we just also want to double triple up on edge, which wouldn't be a bad idea. Or maybe they actually trade down and they take a corner. A corner, exactly. Right? Yeah. right. Then who else is available later in the draft that you think to yourself, okay, they could be a prospect that could develop into something or could provide some pop off the edge. Who should you keep an eye on later in the draft? There are four names here. Chase Winovich, although I want to call him Vinovich. Uh, Chase Winovich. O'Shane Zimenez, uh, Ron Heen Bingham, and Malik Reed. Uh, grade on names. <laughs> I mean, uh, Jimenez. I mean, I don't know. Ron Heen Bingham. Is it Jimenez? Jimenez. I, w- I thought it was O'Shane, Zimenez. O'Shane Jimenez, I believe. Oh, my God. This yeah. is mind-blowing. Sorry, because Jimenez is like a, a like a, a Latin. I've or, tried very hard to get these names down. I want to point that out. The other one that that we haven't really talked about, which I guess we can we can kind of mention quickly, is um, what I thought for the longest time was Clellan Farrell, was how it kind of looks. The Clemson, yeah, 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 right, Clellan Farrell. It's actually they made a big deal about this during the national championship game. Like just repeatedly on the broadcast, we're bringing it up. Uh, apparently, he said that it's Cleland Furl. Cleland Furl. Cleland Furl. Um, okay. So that's, you know, another name. Um, Sorry, but the whole Jimenez with an X thing is like blowing my mind right now. Yeah, it's just, I don't make it's... the rules, man. Uh, this is just how I've heard it. If if that's wrong, I'm blaming other people that have told me that that's how it's pronounced. Walk me through really quickly why each of these players is someone we should watch later in the draft. 
So I think with with Winovich, he is the Michigan edge rusher that actually produced. Um, so it, I think it with him, it really depends on how far. Would you say that he wins? He wins. Winovich. Winovich is a winner. Winovich. <laughs> Winovich wins. <laughs> Uh, so I think, you know, I've seen kind of differing, uh, things about where people think he will go. Uh, I know the draft networks kind of consensus board has him, uh, is like their 53rd overall player. Um, our big board, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, um, some of the other places I've looked don't have him in the top 50. So I think he's a guy that could potentially be like a third, fourth round guy. Like, wouldn't be at all surprising if he goes in that range. And I think once you get a little bit further down, um, he's a player that you should absolutely look at because doesn't have the athletic ceiling, but he's not a bad athlete either. Tested pretty similarly to uh, guys like Bosa. So like that area is fine. He doesn't look as good of an athlete when he's like, on, like his tape isn't as good. Like he's not as smooth of an athlete as, as somebody like Bosa looks on tape. Um, so I think there's a little bit concerned there, but um, dude was able to, to win at a pretty high level. Like he was by far the, the, the most productive edge rusher that Michigan had with him and Gary, um, and is done very well in our grading system there. So I think you look at him, uh, Jimenez, uh, was a guy that I think some people even thought might start getting kind of some fringe first round hype and then went to the combine and didn't test well. He was like a 30th percentile athlete. So kind of, it wasn't complete disaster range, but again, with, a small school player. So at least, uh, Winovich went to Michigan and played against, right. you know, power five competition. Um, Jimenez went to old dominion, right? So those are the guys like we talked about in the past when you see them, like he did the thing you want. The first thing you want, which is he dominated inferior competition, right? Just the guys he was up against completely, uh, was, was the best player on the field. But unlike someone like say Matt Breida, where right. you're like his athletic testing actually proves that he can hang with the, the big boys, you're looking at him and you're like, okay, when you've got a tackle that is probably a better athlete than a good old Jimenez, still blows my mind. Um, then, then at that point, you're like, okay, now, now what happens when he gets beat physically? Something that he's not necessarily maybe had to encounter uh, at the old Dominion. Right. So I think that's, yeah, the big question with him. And so I think because of that, because of his testing, he is somebody that, that I think should be available in kind of that mid-round area. Um deeper guys that that have that are guys that have done very well in our system but again are smaller school prospects kind of under the radar Ronnie Bingham from Arkansas State uh has just destroyed our grading system like uh he is up there from a pure production standpoint with guys like Bosa guys like uh Miles Garrett obviously you don't take that raw you know that that overall grade at face value when you're playing at Arkansas State and, and compare him to those players. There's a reason he's not going to go that high. Directional schools, but, not quite the same. Uh, yeah, so he... This he, is not Arkansas the Razorback. The uh, thing... <laughs> yeah, this isn't even the SEC Arkansas. This is some some bullshit school. <laughs> uh, it, it's... I mean, no offense, Arkansas State alums, if you're listening. <laughs> you're not. If, uh, you, if you are an Arkansas State alum... And you were listening to this Hit right now. Up. Please tweet at both of us because and that would be pretty. Let amazing. me know one notable thing if it exists about your school, um, and Probably it better not Ron be running. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the thing that uh, that kind of all the, these last three, so him and uh, Jimenez and Reed, they're all kind of undersized guys, right? So they they would be a little bit undersized even compared to like the Bosa's and, and Allen's of the world. Right. Um, so I think they really come in and they're, they're probably going to be guys who are more situational players. They're going to be part-time guys that you can come in, but all have been incredibly productive. Reed is interesting um, because he's like a, I guess a poor man's Josh Allen, in a lot of ways, like he was used in a variety of ways at Nevada. They switched schemes midway through his career. So he was kind of used uh, later on more as like an off ball guy, did some different things, but again, was super productive when he got the opportunity to just rush the passer off the edge. Um, and, and so I think these are all guys like Bingham and, and Reed, especially I would imagine are going to go uh, pretty late. Like at the very least, they're going to be day, day three guys. Um, and so if you're looking for players, uh, who have some potential later on. I think those are the names that stick out to me most. Because, again, you got to sacrifice something, right? And so yeah. I think with, with some of these athleticism, guys... Athleticism, production, you're a school. Little, yeah. You're a little lower on the athleticism side. They're not, uh, side. They're not the ideal size, but they've been 
uh, incredibly productive and have kind of dominated the level of competition they played, I think are, are worthy of a chance at the next level. So overall, I, I don't think that, I think the 49ers have options at two, lots of options. It's, it's a good place to be for the team. Which of the moves that we've outlined thus far, Bosa, trade down, Williams, Allen, uh, which of those excites you the most? If we live in, in at, so you're, wait, you're saying just if it two. Yeah, just the two. You you have you have, have to pick, pick a two. Uh, Bosa for sure. Yeah, I mean Bosa. Bosa's the guy uh, that's most exciting. After that, so if excitement rankings would be Bosa, Quinnen, and then I'm less excited about the rest. Have you included trade down in that scenario? Oh no, I said you have to pick a two. Never yeah, mind. have to pick a two. Uh, most exciting uh, move living in Edgeland, like not considering other positions for now, would be uh, trade down, take Brian Burns, and then get the additional picks. I think would be yeah. the the trade down move edge related that I would be most excited about. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And, and honestly, I feel much the same. I think my my most, I think it would be a departure. It would. It seems to me like it would be a departure from the team to trade down from two. To be honest with you. Um, if Bosa or Williams are there. <laughs> yeah, I think the the thing, you know, one of the, the big things that we've learned from them so far, and, and, you know, we're coming up on wrapping three off seasons now with this regime, is uh, they identify, they're not concerned about overconfidence. Um, they are not concerned. They are, they are far less concerned with that than That's we right. are, and they, they kind of identify players, and they do what it takes to go get those players. And so I think, uh, yeah, I I don't really expect them to trade down unless someone just gives them a haul, a huge haul yeah. for a quarter, which would be great. Um, which, which, would be great. which would be great. But yeah, I think it would take a lot to move them out of two if Bose is there. All right. So that about does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast. Tune in next week when we cover the corners and ask similar questions about which corners are available, which ones should be drafted, especially if we consider a trade down scenario uh, and, and which corners you should consider throughout the draft that will help the 49ers at a position that is sorely needed in terms of an upgrade. Because while I love Jason Verrett, uh, that's that's a big if. And if even he's healthy. love Akella Witherspoon still, right? Hope yeah. nothing but the best for them. But you, 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 just, you just need you never guys. know. You, you need got to you got to increase your chances to hit. So yeah. uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals David. Where can they follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. Make sure that you leave a review wherever you download podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, what is it? Google? Po- I forget. It's like Google Play or oh, Google Podcast, Android Podcast. I don't know. I don't do Google's either, but it exists. It's a thing. People do it. You'll find it there. Yeah. That's you exactly know where to right. go. Exactly. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.